Welcome back to another episode of Wake Up New York, a Sunrise NYC podcast. I'm Jenna. I'm Gio. And I'm Paola. We are your hosts and members of Sunrise Movement NYC, back in your ears to lay out more details about New York City-specific politics, policy, principles, and culture. As you know, our podcast is here to explore what the Green New Deal means for our city, learn more about local civics, and realize our dreams for a green new future. And today, we are doing that by continuing our conversation with some of our endorsed candidates. That's right. We're going to learn more about the personal stories of the candidates you heard from last episode and dive into their policy proposals and how winning these elections can help put New York City on track towards a Green New Deal. And just a reminder, the election is on June 22nd. Early voting has been underway since June 12th, so if you haven't already voted, make sure you have a plan to. We spoke to three city council candidates, Kristen, Sandy, and Shahana, who all come from a community organizing background and want to bring this to city council to address the city's problems relating to environmental issues, social justice, housing, transportation, and more. So what makes a good candidate? Why did we endorse these people over the many others running for city council this election? It all starts with community organizing and these candidates' connections to their communities. City Council candidate Kristen Richardson-Jordan, running in District 9 in Central and East Harlem, started organizing as early as middle school with mutual aid projects. So I have always been interested in in community service and in activism and organizing. I actually uh, organized spaces from as young as middle school um, with just an emphasis on how do we eradicate poverty, how do we... um, how do we serve people? And it's just grown over time. My process has been been getting more and more uh, radical, uh, which I think is great because what happens is you start, you initially start out with community service and you say, okay, I'm just going to go to the food pantry and serve people some food, you know, or I'm going to do a clothing drive and serve clothing. Um, And then what you start to realize is the same thing that we have been realizing and doing now as organizers in, in the form of mutual aid is that you start to realize that the gaps that you're filling with your service are large systemic gaps that need to do with a a overhaul of capitalism and an overhaul of white supremacy of the 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 very nature of policing and criminalization city council candidate shahana hanif running in district 39 in brooklyn actually got her start in city council working in constituent services i come from a radical tenant organizing background and then joined the city council, working with current council member Brad Lander in his third term. And that's where I fell in love with what can be possible in the city council and recognizing the power I can bring. Having worked with such a strong crew of community partners and arts organizations and grassroots organizers Folks really leaned on me very generously and were like, Shahana, the council member's term is ending and we would love to see you continue this work. 
and have some bigger tools. So we want to help you run for office. And so there was a direct engagement from the community around, you should do this and you can do this. And so that was inspiring and a pathway for me to determine, okay, can I actually do this? Sandy Nurse, city council candidate for District 37, was also motivated to run by her community members who were inspired by her work as an organizer. So I uh, was initially kind of approached by some folks in the community who encouraged me to run. And it was definitely not anything on my plate. It wasn't something I had in mind for myself. I very much was a person who's like been a behind the scenes uh, strategist and driver of a lot of different initiatives, but certainly never the <laughs> centerpiece or focal point of that work. But truly what got me uh, excited about thinking about this or determined to do it was a couple things. One, the recognition that we do need people um, from movements and who are from grassroots uh, organizing to be on the other side of the table. The elections of the squad a few years back and seeing the new Congress with uh, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashid Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and seeing uh just just seeing these these uh powerful women of color really really doing the thing and and not compromising and that inspired me in terms of opening up my imagination to the idea that that someone like me could be a representative whereas before I thought that was just totally off the table Having an upbringing in community organizing and a connection to everyday people creates leaders that are representatives for all of their communities, especially the underrepresented communities in our city. As a woman of color um, in a landscape where the city has never elected a woman to represent the 39th district, our city has never elected a South Asian city council member, and we've never elected a Muslim woman to the city council. So the race I'm running has been intentional in bringing in all of those identities and the issues that impact uh, the communities I belong to and making sure that we're taking an, an intersectional approach to advancing equity in the city. If elected, KRJ also would represent some firsts in her district. I am third generation Harlem. I, I have known Harlem since I was uh, two weeks old. And um, my, my mother, my grandparents on my father's side, my great aunt on my mom's side, uh, and numerous cousins are all Harlem. And it's just, it, it's just time to see more happen in this district for District 9 residents. My mission is literally to disrupt the district with radical love. And by that, I mean putting people first, putting forward radical policies, which means getting at the root of the issues and centering love, centering community, centering service, the idea of being a public servant uh, as someone running for office. I would be the first out person in the seat, uh, first out LGBTQ person in the seat. I'd be the third woman ever to represent Harlem. I, I'm 34 years old and I would be the youngest woman uh, to represent Harlem. I also, uh, being a Black queer woman, if I win, would be the first Black queer woman to run and win a seat on New York City Council. Diversity is important, 
so that we all feel represented in government, so everyone's voice has a chance to be heard. Working class people face additional barriers to run for office, such as resources, time, money, like we discussed last episode. But Sandy is excited to bring her working class background to inform her actions as a council member. Um, I'm also a carpenter. I was trained um, by unions, but I've done most of my carpentry work and construction around retrofitting houses into passive houses and also lending my skills through workshops and classes for young people and women, LGBTQ folks in my community and in New York City, as well as lending those skills towards the movement for food sovereignty here, specifically in um, East New York and Brownsville and Bushwick. As someone living with a chronic illness, Shahana's lived experiences have been a bit different than those of most people who have served in city council before. Thinking about the the challenges of being a candidate surviving lupus. Lupus is a chronic illness that catalyzed my lifelong commitment to healthcare advocacy and transit justice. And I'm living with a condition that is unpredictable. Over the course of the last 13 years of surviving it, I've had to get both of my hips replaced and my left shoulder replaced. And so being in and out of the hospital and demanding better care for myself while also being in the spaces to uh, change healthcare in our city um, is tough work. And so thinking about the thinking about how politics looks in New York City is not one where I've seen representation of folks who are living with chronic illnesses, living with disabilities, and talking about care that centers impacted people at the table. And so there was a lot of fear around, okay, I've got lupus and I will have issues coming up that might prevent me from from being a city council member who can respond to the needs of all the people here. So there was a lot of hesitation. And then because of the encouragement, I, of course, dove in. So we have a bunch of exciting candidates running this cycle who actually look like and live like everyday New Yorkers. What would it mean to have these people be in office representing us? Let's hear from KRJ and Sandy about what sort of changes they want to bring. So I think the first piece of power will be in being a voice uh, for the community that actually sounds like us. And I'm excited for that uh, because the the representation, um, you know, Harlem has a machine, you know, Harlem has a political machine. Uh, The representation that we've had locally has not been in my opinion, not been of and by and and from Harlemites. So the first thing is that I will be a voice for all of Harlem all together collectively uh, and saying the things that that Harlemites say, but that we haven't heard our representatives say. You know, the police terrorize our community. Um, There is constant racism that is affecting our community, environmental racism, the injustices of um, of the budget, of the the lack of resources, the need to have a representative who straight up says that we live in white supremacy and we're seeing white supremacy affect Harlem. 
and uh, and who says that we're we're dealing with gentrification and the displacement of of our people, and that has to be addressed. The second thing is changing the the way policy is formed and how it comes out like the general assembly model of it being open and participatory and democratic and um, just truly getting input uh, and having that be accessible. I'm a huge believer in mutual aid, but mutual aid oftentimes comes at the cost of sustainability, at the cost of people being burnt out um, and our efforts not really having the ability to take root for a long-term uh, long-term work. And so I do believe that we need to have people in local government who can essentially codify or resource these these types of efforts and pull them into the norm rather than an exception um, and really try to support movements who are um, demanding things, who simply just don't have the votes to move things we've been asking for for a really long time out of committee and into legislation. So that's one uh, thing. And then the other thing is just the, you know, this district has been kind of run by machine politics, nepotism, uh, systems of clientelism and patronage and, um, you know, uh, seat swapping between people who are part of the same clubs. And really, it is a very low voter turnout district. And there has been very little done to pull people into the civic process, pull people into the decision-making around what needs to happen in this community. And so I felt that this is the perfect district where a new approach that's very transparent and inclusive and that puts a lot of emphasis on participatory governance would be um, ideal because of the, the amount of people who are totally disaffected. Shahana sees this new class of city council members, including her own prospective win, as a huge opportunity to have a local government that truly serves and is deeply connected to its constituents. Have a strong, responsive constituent services arm. That is what I see as the role of the city council. And because it is, it is the most um, local, local office, it has been for me a block-by-block -block approach to addressing the needs of our communities. I fell in love with the possibilities because I speak, read and write Bangla, and it was an opportunity to really expand the electorate in a way that I had never seen. I wanted folks to know what the city council member's office can do, and if there were limitations to organize um, and to be an advocate, um, listening to the needs of community-based organizations like Daisy's Rising Up and Moving, like our arts workers and arts and culture organizations like Arts and Democracy. So there were so many issues that brought me so much joy with the possibilities of the city council. And then I led participatory budgeting. I went full time because I loved going into work every single day and um, further got to meet folks district wide through participatory budgeting. And uh, it's through PB that we've been able to shape a budget that is responsive to the needs of folks in, in my district. And whether that's bringing in more trees, um, making our neighborhoods cooler, to getting funding for indoor plant labs at schools, all decided on by people and by activating people around what the city's budget 
can look like on the ground. And so I have been consistently looking for ways to democratize budgets and to democratize governing, what governing can look like um, rather than, than being so top down and one person making decisions. How can we include folks in a participatory co-governing way um, so that folks feel like the decisions that are getting made for them are informed by them? Brad Lander, current council member for District 39 and candidate for NYC Comptroller, brings experience from having served in the council since 2009. As someone who has worked on environmental policies in the city council, he emphasizes that frontline communities must be a factor in every decision. Climate justice, environmental justice, seeing that frontline communities are most in harm's way and therefore must be central to shaping our policy solutions has to be critical to all our climate action. It can't be a, a separate plank. It really has to be in every element. He talked to us about solar power in the city and how local government can help in the transition to renewable energy by installing solar panels. There's two ways that climate justice is central there. First, right now, the way it works is a lot easier for a, a homeowner, somebody wealthier, you know, like me, likely white, uh, to have the financing to do it and not for a low-income homeowner or somebody that's living in a affordable building with affordable housing. So we've got a pretty inequitable distribution of rooftop solar. Uh, this, this policy would solve that because the city would go to building owners and say, we actually will pay you a rent. It would help uh, low-income homeowner, homeowners pay their mortgage. And then also right now, um, there's no obligations on the companies that do the installations for who they're hiring. If we do it this way with the city saying to the solar installers, we're going to give you a lot of work in the next few years, um, but you have to hire folks from public housing, from frontline communities, we can make sure to be creating good green jobs for the people who need them the most, folks who are in hard hit or frontline neighborhoods. And that's just got to be true everywhere. You know, we, we've seen in the COVID crisis that it is black and brown communities that are most in harm's way. And we've said we're going to recognize that in the policies that come out of the crisis. Um, we're not showing it yet. Here's one real example. You know, We know that the climate crisis will be more devastating in coastal communities, in low-income neighborhoods. He also told us a bit more about what the role of the Comptroller is in addressing environmental justice and the climate crisis. In our mitigation and preparation, we have to tell the truth and shine a spotlight on those things and make sure in every bit of policy that we can, that we're centering those communities in developing the policies themselves, uh, really making the outcomes transparent, being honest about disparities that, you know, a really useful role for the controller is doing audits of both our sustainability practices, but also these equity questions. We can shift from a kind of zero-sum uh, systemic racism to shared thriving. We've got a lot better chance to do things that not only do right by um, uh, black and brown communities, do right by environmental justice neighborhoods, but, but help us thrive collectively and actually achieve the climate goals that will keep us all safe. Sandy explained her plans would be to jumpstart our city's response to the climate crisis and all of these other interconnected issues. I don't see issues as isolated. 
Um, I think they all stem from the same systemic forces that are unjust. So I don't have um, an issue that uh, stands above the rest, but I do believe right now in my community, the thing that is hurting people the most is the lack of stability in their housing situation and the ability to project a long-term vision of, of being in place and being able to build their lives around being in place, whether it's banking on a job or banking on your, you know, where your children are going to go to school. Um, all of that stuff stems from the ability to, to have a sense of home and stability. Um, and all of that intersects with addressing head on the climate crisis that is here and that is going to intensify. Housing interacts with that. We have miles and miles of coastline that is vulnerable in New York City, and that is going to put a pressure on higher places, higher above sea level places in the city. Um, which is going to put a pressure on housing stock, which is going to displace people and create a, a domino effect. I've been working in sanitation uh, around waste for a long time. Specifically, I founded a kind of like community composting model that has jobs um, that act, uses publicly owned vacant space and that intersects and works with the private waste system. And I want to build on that work because I really think that to achieve certain benchmarks of drawing down emissions, we really do need to make sure that we are getting to zero waste. Um, and a lot of that is going to be removing 50% of the waste stream, which is organic waste um, from the landfills and trying to do as much of that without the use of uh, these very old diesel trucks that we have. There's so many old diesel trucks out here in New York City collecting waste. So I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the food movement and uh, local growing. I'm really excited about the food economy. Um, renewable Rikers would be an incredible vision. These kinds of visions are the visions that, that brought me into carpentry, that brought, brought me into doing hyper-local work, was trying to figure out, like, how do we bring these big ideas down to the neighborhood level? And what is the infrastructure needed? What are the ways in which people can benefit from that directly that will get people excited about thinking about this at the citywide level. Kristen Richardson-Jordan emphasized the interconnectedness of the issues in her district and her plan to fight for change in Harlem and beyond. I am a big advocate for food justice in, in my neck of the woods, which is central Harlem, um, as well as a Green New Deal for NYCHA and in general an environmentalist platform. We really need to restore the sanitation budget. Um, the funds are needed. Uh, the streets are nasty. And aside from that, it's just uh, in terms of environmental needs in the community, it, it ripples out, you know. So, so I know that sometimes talking about something like trash on the street seems relatively small, uh, but it will, it will have a ripple effect on the rest of the community. It's a psychological, emotional health. Uh, connection. It's a self-esteem connection. It's um, it's something the kids see when they when they see and and know that in in our neighborhood things aren't as well tended and that the the trash pickups aren't happening as much and it isn't as clean. It sort of connects dots for them in terms of not being worthy. Uh, when when our neighborhood is absolutely worthy and the kids are absolutely worthy and and we are deserving of of those clean streets. So one of the big things I'm pushing is definitely a restoration of the sanitation budget um, and the return of those cans. We really need to increase uh, energy efficient transportation. 
Uh, I believe in a free and accessible uh, subway, but also in energy efficient public transit. So what can we do to look at uh, electric buses and look at uh, alternatives? There is a shortage of bike lanes in the district. Uh, so I w- really want to advocate for more bike paths in uptown. Um, there's a, a pretty strong infrastructure in other parts of Manhattan. Uh, but when we get to uptown, we don't have that same level of infrastructure and biking and bike paths uh, to allow people to do that as a form of transit. I really want to see more open streets and outdoor dining and uh, increasing green structures in general. Uh, I think there's really space for us to get creative and do um, some green roofs and and really look at community gardens. So I know I'm naming a lot of things. Some of the things I think, I honestly think I can do, literally just do with discretionary funds. Discretionary funds are just what they sound like. Funds that council members get allocated, that they have some freedom or discretion over to help fund projects that might best serve their communities. Several council districts allow communities to partake in this decision-making process through participatory budgeting. Some of the other things that I want to push, like the energy-efficient public transit, uh, those are things that are going to take longer to implement and take I think just massive organizing and the support of fellow activists uh, so that we could get other members on board and really push other electeds to to take on those things. Shahana also told us about her priorities, but a bit begrudgingly. I hate being asked this question because I have so many issues that I want to talk about. Um, So, I mean, I, I am prioritizing education and community-rooted, equitable education. It is time to desegregate, decarcerate our schools. And and in order for us to fully reopen our schools, we have got to expand outdoor spaces, utilize outdoor spaces. So many of the school buildings in my district, outside of the district, are in need of repair, are in need of play yards that are safe, that are green, while also thinking about what is the curriculum that we are extending to students and would really love to work with Sunrise, Triage, Uprose, other youth activist leaders to shape a curriculum. And so, of course, there's an intersection of climate justice Uh, as part of how we advance education equity. When I think of climate justice, I immediately think about green spaces, open spaces, and parks. And and so I will be very committed to making sure that our parks in the district, whether that's Prospect Park to smaller playgrounds to public plazas, are funded uh, adequately so that they can be maintained and that they've got Um, stewardship and folks from our neighborhoods to be able to take care of of what is planted in the parks to what kind of activities are are taking place. And it's why I've been pushing for a feminist Green New Deal. I'd love to see more power of the people to help shape how we use up open space. And for folks from the the neighboring areas to be able to look after the community gardens, green spaces, and other open open space projects. 
Together, Sandy, Shahana, Kristen, and Brad will fight for a more just, sustainable future, along with our other endorsed City Council candidates, Alexa Aviles, Amanda Farias, Alita Gagarin, Felicia Singh, Jasleen Kaur, and Tiffany Caban. Thank you for listening to Wake Up New York, a Sunrise NYC podcast. We're your hosts, Paula Sanchez, Giovanni Santalucia, and Jenna Tipaldo. And we produced this episode with Frankie James Albin, Natalie Bardfe, and Hilary McDonald. Special thanks to Shahana Hanif, Kristen Richardson-Jordan, Sandy Nurse, and Brad Lander for speaking to us. To learn more about Sunrise NYC's endorsed candidates, visit us online at sunrise NYC org slash endorsements. And again, if you haven't already, make sure you have a plan to vote.